0: The Daily Rios for January 8th, 2013. Timeline Tuesday. Right the of for the nothing. Right this is a step hand. nothing Where gone. It is David Bowie's birthday today. I don't pretend to be knowledgeable about movies or music in the same way that I am with comics. Uh, So I like that there's a certain innocence uh, to the way that I react in learning about um, the history of movies and music and the people in them. And uh, I love me some David Bowie. I didn't realize it was his birthday today, so I said, you know what, I'm just going to throw out a little part of uh, one of his songs that I really, really like. Um, So, happy birthday. Anyway, lots to cover today. We start off with a Timeline Tuesday, as promised, where I'm going to take a look at what was coming out in comics 10 years ago, 25 years ago, and 50 years ago, Uh, and then I'll hit other important dates, such as birthdays and events, etc., all circling around this month of January for you to celebrate or give a nod to as the month goes on or just think, wow, I didn't realize uh, that it happened or that it's been that long since uh, this certain event or that certain comic or whatever. So we start with 10 years ago, January 2003, and these aren't cover dates, to the best of my ability, these are comics that hit the comic shops in January of 2003. So we start with just a few of them here. Sleeper, number one, came out in January 2003 from Wildstorm. Ed Brubaker, Sean Phillips, uh, firmly entrenched within the Wildstorm universe. There were two seasons to Sleeper, season one and season two. Um, The first issue of season one came out ten years ago today, or this month. And if you like what they did on Criminal or Incognito, but you haven't read Sleeper, then go back and get Sleeper and read that. Also ten years ago in January, Superman the Ten Cent Adventure by Steven Siegel and Scott McDaniel, I think kicking off their run, which was short-lived and wasn't so monumental, I guess you could say. Uh, ten years ago, 2003 in January, Unstable Molecules, number one, uh, the first issue of a four-issue m- miniseries by James Sturm and Guy Davis and Robert Koryak, where the entire premise centering around the Fantastic Four um, is the idea that the characters in Fantastic Four were actually inspired by real people in the lives of the creators of the Fantastic Four, so it takes a very uh, real approach to the origins behind the comic book, and it's a very interesting story, and... Uh, You can go, you know, look for it either in single issues or trades. Um, It's called Unstable Molecules, four-issue miniseries. James Sturm, Guy Davis, Robert Sikoriak. Check it out. And then the biggie for ten years ago, celebrating ten years, Invincible number one, Robert Kirkman, Cory Walker. uh, Technically not his first appearance, not the first appearance of Invincible, but his first issue of his series, which right now is heading to Issue 100. And now we hit 25 years ago. This would be 1988, for the month of January. Again, comics that came out in this month. Blue Beetle 24, the Len Wein series, uh, wraps up with that issue number. If you ever hear or read someone say that after Dark Knight, after The Crisis, after Watchmen, comics got real dark and real gritty, well, they never read Blue Beetle, uh, because it was a fun series starting off with Paris Collins on the artwork, and it was just a, a new character to the DC Universe out of the crisis. And it was a great series, and it only lasted 24 issues, but then he would be a major player uh, in Justice League, which he already was at, by this point anyway. Um, Reuben Flagg returns in the first issue of Howard Chaikin's American Flag, the second volume of... Uh, that character. This one would only run 12 issues from first comics, and it would actually be written and drawn, uh, not necessarily by Howard by people, but by people that he was collaborating with. We have Marvel Graphic Novel 35, featuring The Shadow, in a story called Hitler's Astrologer by Denny O'Neill and Mike Kaluta. And then The Biggie for 25 Years Ago, January 1988, Amazing Spider-Man 300, David Michelinie, Todd McFarlane, the first full issue with Venom, giving his origin uh, as the symbiote and as the suit from Secret Wars. And suddenly, when you think about the cover to that issue, which which sold a buttload of comics, um, and the variant cover to the current Amazing Spider-Man 700 suddenly makes sense why they did that. Uh, so Amazing Spider-Man 300, 25 years ago this month. All right, and now 50 years ago, January of 1963, Adventure Comics 306, first appearance of the Legion of Substitute Heroes, uh, Polar Boy, Night Girl, Stone Boy, Fire Lad, Chlorophyll Kid, first appearance of uh, those rejects uh, that would become a heartwarming group along the way and someone that Keith Giffen would often like to poke fun of. Uh, Flash 135, Kid Flash gets his new costume, This is the mostly yellow-based costume where his hair could be seen. It was a mask where his top of his head was visible, uh, with the red gloves and the yellow boots and the red leggings, um, uh, which uh, Grant Morrison at one point called uh, the best costume in comics. Uh, So Kid Flash gets his new costume. And then Incredible Hulk number six brings that short-lived series to a close 50 years ago. Uh, After this, he will appear in Avengers, random issues of Fantastic Four, before he would take over the Tales to Astonish series with issue 59 in 1964. And then we won't get another Hulk-titled book until 1968, when Tales to Astonish changes to Incredible Hulk with issue 102. And then, also 50 years ago, Fantastic Four 13 featuring the first appearance of the Red Ghost and his super-apes, but it is also the first appearance of Uatu the Watcher. So happy birthday, Uatu. And now for some important dates all around January, some not necessarily having anniversaries. A lot of these are birth dates, actually. Um, But we'll start here. January 3rd of 1977, Spider-Man newspaper strip begins. January 5th of 1914, George Reeves was born january 10 1999 the Batman beyond cartoon premiered January 12th of 1962 Joe Quesada was born january 12th of 1966 Batman the live TV series show premiered january 16th of 1939 um, just probably not even a year after his first appearance the superman newspaper strip debuted running until 1966. January 16 of 1970 Garth Ennis was born, January 19 of 1979 the first of the of two red brown Captain America movie debuts, January 22 1958 Howard Mackey was born, January 22 of 1970 Alex Ross was born, January 27th of 1957 Frank Miller was born, January 29th 1958 Jeff Loeb was born and January 31st 1960 Grant Morrison was born as I said a lot of birthdays so there you go some important dates some comic dates some anniversaries for the month of January and I will be back in a moment
1: hi I'm J.K. Woodward
2: and I'm Daryl Taylor
1: and we're with the podcast J.K.'s Happy Hour uh, for those that haven't heard uh recently Peter David had uh suffered a stroke and he well he's on his way to recovery and it's it's looking good medically um there is there's a lot of things that insurance aren't going to cover in a, in a long recovery like this uh... so uh... for those fans that want to help peter out um he has suggested a way and that's the best way to do that is with crazy 8 press dot com this is a um this is a, a publication company that that he runs that he owns and all the all the profits from this go directly to his recovery
2: and you can go to uh... crazy Eight press uh... via comic mix or you can go to Amazon or Barnes and Noble websites it's, it's available digitally and uh you can get the Crazy 8 uh press books which are pulling up stakes uh part 1 and part 2 which is a nice little funny uh action packed uh vampire story um which is told in Peter's special way and you can also get uh the pe- the Camelot papers uh which is also uh, a nice little funny take on the uh the Arthur, what do they call it? The
1: uh... um, it, yeah, the, the the Camelot mythology, um, right? And, right. and it, it's 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 very it's very heavy handedly comparable to uh, modern politics, so it's almost a, a modern political satire at the same time. Right. It's a very funny book, definitely worth checking out.
2: And you can also go uh, and get the the Hidden Earth uh, saga, which is uh, two books um, that are already published, which is Darkness of, of the Light and Height of the Depths. And the third one he's working on right now, so that'll be coming out. But you can get those two, uh, which is a mix of science fiction and, and mythology, and it's a fun little take on that. So you can get you can get all of those digitally, but you can also get them print too. You can buy them print as well.
1: Yeah, and and as we said before, all proceeds from this go uh, go directly to him. This is his own um, creator-owned uh, site here. Um, also, uh, you know, understandably, we're all concerned about Peter and want to know how he's doing from day to day. Uh, and if you want to get updates on that, uh, Pete, both Peter and his wife are um, are putting updates uh, daily at uh, peterdavid dot net, and that's uh, that's the best place to go for information at this point.
2: Right, and uh, he's he's appreciative of all the well wishes. You can go to his website and see that um, we we're all pulling for him, and he is getting better. Um, and that's what's most important. But, you know, everybody with healthcare the way it is, you, you need a little help.
1: Exactly. So
2: so if you can, uh, do that. And not, you know, you're not just giving money away, you're actually buying something that's entertaining at the same time. Yeah, I think so. be,
1: if you're a Peter David fan, you'll be happy with what you get. Because this is some great stuff he has here on, uh, on Crazy Eight.
2: For all that information, we hope we gave you everything. Anything else you need, you just look it up on his website. Help if you
0: can. Just a few more things here to close out the episode. Um, There's been talk for the past week or so about uh, the upcoming upcoming Guardians of the Galaxy movie, and there was rumors that Joseph Gordon-Levitt was being uh, shopped around for that movie in in the role of Star-Lord, one of the main characters of Guardians of the Galaxy, the new Marvel cosmic movie coming out, uh, what, in another year or two. And you know they were just rumors, and and I I didn't really say anything about it because I sort of felt that um, he was so prominent in uh, the last Dark Knight movie, the last Batman movie, that it just I I just hate when actors cross over. Um, you know, look at Ryan Reynolds. Uh, first he's Deadpool, and then Green Lantern. Uh, look at Chris Evans, Captain America, and the Human Torch, and he was in the Scott Pilgrim movie, and he was was he was in the Losers movie, I believe, too. Um, I just dislike crossing over, actors crossing over like that. And some of it is just a studio grab. I mean, come on. Marvel going after Joseph Gordon-Levitt because of his role in Dark Knight Rises? I mean, that kind of makes sense, right? I understand that on a business sense. Um It probably has very little to do whether he actually fits the character. Not that that's ever a a premise. Um, But then today, it's sort of been shopped around all over the place that he's uh, probably going to be moving into the next Sin City movie and and is turning down Guardians of the Galaxy or stepping away from, or whatever it is. And, you know, I sort of want to say, see, that's why I don't get wrapped up in a lot of this pre-movie rumor hype of casting announcements and all this because half the time they don't work out and they're just speculation and they're just rumors and actors probably see tons of scripts that go by um their agents or or their own desk and uh yeah you know did marvel probably did they want joseph gordon levitt because of dark knight yes absolutely that's probably why they did it um but he decided to go for Sin City. Uh, for what we know, I mean, who knows? That may fall through too. Maybe he'll go back to Guardians of the Galaxy. I don't know. But just to say it, it kind of you know, because I saw people go uh, a lot of Twitter talk and Tumblr talk of people saying things like, uh, "Yes, he'll be a great Star Lord," uh, and now they're all disappointed. and And it's nobody's fault. Nobody's fault for you know, it's not. He doesn't hate Marvel. He doesn't hate Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, it's just the way the business rolls, baby. So, all to say, don't put too much stock on these early news things, and then you won't be so disappointed. Wait until things are confirmed. Wait until you see some images. Wait until you see a trailer. then you can get excited uh, anyway. um also uh, learned today that about a little bit more about uh, the Eisner awards, if you don't know the Eisner awards, they're based after will Eisner, um, one of the grandfathers of of you know sort of modern comic book storytelling, and uh, not even modern. Um, just a legendary figure in comics, I guess you could say. I'm, I'm kind of riffing on here, and it's, I'm, I'm not making sense. <laughs> um, so they created an industry-wide award show based around him, and one of the categories that has been recent in the past uh, almost ten years is uh, the digital comics category, and um, come to know that, you know what, they're a little bit uh, you know restrictive about that category. Um, the awards uh, explanation for the, that category is the best digital comic category is open to any new, professionally produced, long form original comics wor- work posted online. Web comics must have a unique domain name or be part of a larger comics community to be considered. The work must be online exclusive for a significant period prior to being collected in print form and the URL and any necessary access information should be emailed to the Eisner Awards for consideration. So apparently, they're really strict about what is long-form. It de- definitely doesn't mean how long you've been working on the comic, webcomic. What it means is they're looking for web comics that are like actual comic books, what they consider to be modern comic books, where, where it tells a story, or it tells uh, a long-form story, arcs, uh, Um, something that has multiple chapters, something that continues from strip to strip. I have to assume what they're kind of suggesting here is that the daily format, quote-unquote, or the gag strip format of what we know, say, like a newspaper strip uh, comic would be, that's not what they're considering. So think of something like Garfield up against um, Brenda Starr in the newspapers, or would something like, you know, think of like Calvin and Hobbes. Not necessarily long-form story there, going up against maybe, I don't know, Prince Valiant or Mandrake the Magician, which use or, di- uh, I don't know, which probably did have more Tarzan, which continued from strip to strip. So suddenly now there's a difference between the two of them? I don't understand that. I don't understand why something that is strip-based, daily-based, or gag-based, or however you want to describe it, you know, I think of something like girlswithslingshot.com. Uh, that works on the strip format. It, it uses the daily format very well, but it tells a long form, so would that be considered? Um, one of the winners was PvP, and I'm not familiar with that, but I, I assume it has characters that come in and out, but I also assume it probably uses the daily format very well, the strip gag format. Uh, other ones that won in the past were Mom's Cancer by Brian, Brian Fee's, Salmon Max by Steve Purcell. Sugarshock by Joss Whedon and Fabio Moon. Come on, that one I can't imagine that one has lasted more than three, four, five years. Um Finder by Carlos Speed McNeil. Uh, the Abominable Charles Christopher by Carl Keshel Carl Kershel, excuse me. Battle Pug by Mike, Mike Norton by Mike Norton. So, you know, that's a little interesting to to realize that there are some limitations on that webcomic, digital comic, uh, uh, well, I mean, you know, they call it digital comic award. They don't call it web comic awards. Uh, and they're looking for long-form stories comparable to a comic book or graphic novel. Interesting. Uh, I'd be real curious to see if there's people out there who have a webcomic, if they've ever submitted to the Eisner and gotten the same response. Uh, um, I'm kind of curious to see why there is such a um, division there. You know, what what should it matter i mean you have to imagine that they're probably saying are they saying that they because they're being restrictive that'll cut back on a lot of quote unquote uh, bad web comics or ones that they don't think are up to quality and if that's the case then you know you're kind of limiting your field aren't you so I, I don't know i don't know it's just really strange i thought that was really interesting to learn that today and i'd be curious to hear what people's uh, thoughts are, are on that all right to wrap up the episode, we're going to do day six of the best of 2012, and this one comes from NJ from the Nerd Goggles podcast, and one of her requests uh, for a category was Best Letters Pages, and I love that. It's a different topic. Uh, I don't hear many people talk about that. Um, I was going to say Butcher Baker Righteous Maker because I really like the text pieces that he, Joe Casey, the author, provides in that comic, but only one issue came out in 2012, and that's not necessarily a letters pages column, it's uh, just text pieces. You learn a lot about Joe Casey's thoughts on comics and, and Butcher Breaker, and, and that's not quite the same thing. So, it, But they're still amazing to read, so if you ever get those eight issues, or if you have those eight issues, dig into the back and check those out. So I guess I had to give it to, um, when I thought about it some more, what were some other books that had letter columns that really used them uh, to the, to the hilt, like just went out of their way to try to create a community around the book and um, make it so that it was fun to see your name in print again. And I had to go with Saga. Brian Kane Vaughan is using the letter columns pages uh, to to not only reprint uh, people's letters, but to put in pictures of artwork that he has received based on the series or little things that he has received from readers. Um, In Issue 7, there's a whole new contest kicking off. Uh, And they're not just one or two pages. Some of them are going four or five pages in length. Uh, He's really using the letter column page uh, to make it a little, you know, like the old days of of getting people's letters and hearing, uh, asking questions and and, um, getting responses back from some of his readers. In in Issue 7, there was one, uh, a letter from a military guy and... Apparently, Brian K. Vaughan, he wh- because the story itself is about the military and two people from two different militaries, he wants to know uh, a little bit more, you know, some, some personal reactions about certain things that he's asking about, and uh, specifically about the book, what they think of the book, and what, you know, does it ring true for them uh, if they're in the military. So, this is great. I think that's awesome. I think it's a great use of space, and it's just one more reason to buy the book, and um, I love letters pages. I used to love the old uh, Batman and the Outsiders letter, letter pages from the 80s. Mike W. Barr used to get into some amazing arguments back in the day. Uh, Mr. Phil always talks about um, the letter pages for Cerebus and how sometimes you bought that book more for the letter pages than you did for the book itself. Uh, I can remember The Invisibles. Grant Morrison used to talk a lot about what he was reading, what was going on in his life. Um, Preacher was just crazy. People were trying to outdo each other with how crazy they could write their letters in there. So I'm a big, big, big fan of letter f- letter pages. And um, we did an episode on Comic Geek Speak way, way, way back on letter hacks. People that names that you constantly saw in letter columns. T.M. Maple, um, Kevin T. Brown, I think, was another one. And Augie D. Bleak was a guest on that show and he had a few letters. Uh, a lot of letters, actually, uh, in many comics, and I had a few printed, and we wound up reading them in that episode and just laughing how silly we were uh, in some of those letters. So uh, I think that's a great topic, and my best letter pages for 2012 goes to Saga. Um, something that I don't know if you'll get if you're reading in the trade. I don't know. If, I'm. I i can not imagine they're reprinting the pa- the letter columns because that's an additional three to five pages an issue. Um, you know, you might be getting something new, but I doubt you're getting the letters. Uh, so that's a nice, nice bonus for those of us who are sticking with the single issues. All right, so that's your episode for today. Really appreciate everyone listening. I will see you tomorrow for New Comics Wednesday.